Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. And on this episode, we'll take a look at the role exercise plays in our mental health. We'll explore the science behind the impact physical activity has on our brain function. Joining us is Dr. Jennifer Heiss, who is a leading expert on the neuroscience of exercise and the director of the NeuroFit Lab at McMaster University. She's the author of the new book, Move the Body, Heal the Mind overcome anxiety, depression, and dementia, and improve focus, creativity, and sleep. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Tell us what prompted you to write this book. Well, uh, as you mentioned, I'm the director of the NeuroFit Lab, so I conduct research in this area on the effects of exercise on the brain. Um, but I also have a personal story here, too, where I used exercise to heal my own brain of some pretty severe anxiety and some OCD that I had struggled with earlier on in my life. Talk to us a little bit about your experience with antidepressants and just, you know, mental health drugs mm -hmm. and traditional approaches in general. Yeah. So when I first started to experience symptoms of anxiety, it was back in my 20s. I was in grad school and I was studying the effects of exercise on the brain, sort of the fundamentals of neuroscience, who we are. And it became clear something was wrong with my own brain. I, I, I was experiencing pretty severe anxiety and I went to the doctor and um, the school doctor, they they really the, the first line of defense was handing me an antidepressant and I was really reluctant to take it. Um, and so fortunately, a friend had recommended I try cycling and much to my surprise, after I borrowed my friend's rusty old road bike, uh, those cycling, the those bike rides really soothed my mind. And so that sort of made your research and your career go in a different direction? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really sparked a shift in my just my personal life, because prior to that point, I had really struggled to find exercise or movement that 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 suited me. Um, but now I had this real purpose for exercising, not just for my physical health, but for my mental health. And for me, it became the medicine that I needed. Um, and because it had such a profound effect on my personal life, it sparked a shift in my professional life too. And I shifted my research from studying the fundamentals of neuroscience to really studying the effects of exercise on the brain. What hope can you offer or can exercise offer in general for people who have treatment resistant depressants, depression and feel like, you know, they've already tried everything? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's amazing. One in three people who take antidepressants don't respond to them, which a lot of people don't realize that that number is so high and you can you can only imagine how one must feel when they're taking their meds and not experiencing any relief it's a really hopeless hopeful hopeless feeling and why are the meds not working for them well the meds treat one specific aspect of depression, which is low serotonin in the brain. And if that's your problem, the, the meds work really well and they can be really transformative. But if that's not your problem, then they don't work. And so one in three people, they just don't work. And so what's causing their depression? It probably is likely inflammation. So you, you're probably familiar with inflammation. It's the body's natural immune response to a foreign invader in the body. It's, it's the immune protection. But sometimes we can get, our immune system can get haywired by things like chronic stress. So stress damages our cells, launching an immune response, which can increase, elevate inflammation in the body. That inflammation gets into the brain and can cause disruptions in our mood.
And so for individuals who have this stress-induced depression, they respond significantly better to exercise than they do to antidepressant drugs. And in fact, the research shows that the exercise can have a clinically significant impact on their mood. Wow. I know you say that the latest research shows that lactate may be one of the most important promoters of brain health. Tell us more about what lactate is and how it helps our brains. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're probably familiar with lactate or lactic acid. It's the it's what we typically associate with with burning muscles. So when our when we're exercising hard and our muscles start to burn, that's an indication that lactic acid or lactate is building up in the muscles. And so when we when we're working at a challenging pace, this happens. And so most fitness instructors often say, "Okay, let's flush out the lactic acid as if it's a bad thing." But it turns out that this lactic acid, lactate, moves from the muscles through through the blood to the brain and may be the most potent stimulator of neuroplasticity. So it goes to this brain region called the hippocampus and the hippocampus is critical for memory formation. And it's also the brain region that's damaged by Alzheimer's disease. So we are really excited about the potential for lactate being a potential protection against Alzheimer's disease and dementia, and maybe even a form of a new exercise pill or memetic that people can take if they can't exercise vigorously. I was just going to ask that. Yeah. What do you do if you can't? Let's mm -hmm. say right now, since there's nothing for people to take, I mean, can they take something like BCAs or I don't know, creatinine, just the things that, I mean, I take just to, to help me build muscle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the research on this is so new. So it's not clear exactly what people can take or or um, how they can supplement to boost these effects. So we're looking into that now. So stay tuned. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the so for people who 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 haven't been moving much, the good news is that walking probably is challenging enough to get them the lactate they, that they need. So the, the trick is you want to be exercising at a point where it's difficult to carry on a conversation. So we call this the talk test. So if you're, you know, walking Walking and talking comfortably, you're below your lactate threshold. When you're walking and it's difficult to have a full conversation, let's say you can get out a few words, then you're likely above your lactate threshold and that's where you need to be. So what I recommend for people um, is just if you're regular walking, just pick up the pace intermittently, like between light posts or add in a few hills, and this can be enough to boost your brain health. So that advice carries for people who maybe have arthritis or are older and it's difficult for them to move and, and maybe the idea of, of embarking on exercise is a little bit overwhelming. Yeah, um, and and I, I have a lot of older people in my life, and when I tell them that you know high intensity is good for memory, as our research shows, they 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 often balk like a uh, high intensity. Well, that's not for me. But if we if we reframe it, um, it's really it is really a personalized thing. Like it's high intensity for you, and so yeah, for someone who has arthritis or is an older person, that looks fundamentally different than for a younger high fit person who may be able to do sprints. So these interval walkings where the, the bursts of activity happens there um, is, is enough to do it. I want to talk a little bit about dementia. So you have a lot of people who have a genetic disposition for dementia. 
how can they use exercise or would it even be beneficial in preventing it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, our research shows that physical inactivity contributes to dementia risk as much as genetics. So I have this saying, you can't change your genes, but you can change your lifestyle. And it really underscores the importance of exercise and lifestyle in protecting the brain from dementia, which has no cure. And so really prevention is the key. And the research shows that starting as early as midlife is really, really important for protecting the brain and boosting fitness in midlife can help protect you from these really scary diseases. Why is it hard for us to exercise? Yeah, if it's so good for us, why do we not want to do it? Well, this is the million dollar question, right? Uh, partly it has to do with the brain. So the brain is to blame here. So you can get rid of all your guilt about not exercising. Okay, it's uh, not the, my fault. <laughs> it's not your fault. <laughs> the brain is actually, it's put up this resistance to it. And that's for two reasons. So partly the brain wants to conserve energy and and this is a relic of our evolutionary past when resources were scarce and it took a lot of energy to to find them uh, for survival and so flash forward to now we don't have to expend energy to survive at least to forage and hunt for food but we still have this relic of a brain that is wanting us to conserve energy and so it sees any sort of voluntary exercise as an extravagant expense and it goes out of its way to prevent you from doing it and that's that's that talk in your head like oh i'm too tired to exercise do we even have time to exercise that's your lazy brain talking yeah. <laughs> but fortunately you can you can counter you know you can use your logic your more evolved parts of your brain to rebut and you know you know say okay well we planned ahead we put it in our calendar we have a good plan for today it's not that hard we're just gonna do it so that's part of the reason why it's hard the other reason is exercise is a physical stressor and it knocks the body out of homeostasis now the brain wants to maintain homeostasis so it it resists against that so um it sounds like a bad thing, right? Stress, nobody wants more stress in their life. But the thing with exercise stress is it's 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 technically a, a good stress, if you will, where we need stress in our life to, to push us outside of our comfort zone so that the body and the mind can adapt and grow into a stronger version of itself. If we're never challenging ourselves, we just stay the same and we never adapt and grow. And so exercise provides this beautiful outlet for which we can stimulate the stress system, but in a very controlled and comfortable, you know, controlled way that we start it, we pick how intense it gets and we stop it. And so this, this is a really nice way to stimulate the stress system so that we can adapt and grow stronger. There are some stressors we just can't avoid, and it makes sense that times of transition are the biggest stressors, mm -hmm. which made me really curious to know how the transition from working in the office to working at home, and now for a lot of people, leaving home to go back to the office mm -hmm. has impacted people. What have your observations been? Yeah, so right at the start of the pandemic, um, there was so, you know, there was so much uncertainty, so much stress. And we we conducted a research survey of 1600 people. And not surprisingly, stress, anxiety and depression were through the roof. Physical activity was down. People who were able to main, maintain their activity level were faring better. But 
it, it was challenging. There was this shift. People wanted to exercise for not to look good, but to feel good. But there was this paradox that we identified where people wanted to work out for their mental health, but their mental health was getting in the way. They were too stressed or anxious to do it. And they lacked the motivation, which is a symptom of depression. And so when we're using exercise for our mental health, it's it's a different approach. We need to adopt a mantra of some is better than none and focus on you know consistency rather than things like intensity or performance. We're glad you're part of our Nobody Told Me family of listeners, and we have a special offer for you from our sponsor, Ritual, who you may have heard us talk about before. We've been big fans of Ritual's essential multivitamins and essential protein products for many reasons. We really appreciate that with Ritual's one-of-a-kind visible supply chain, you know the what, how, and why of every labeled ingredient. And we're excited to tell you about another great product from Ritual, Symbiotic Plus. It's my daily three-in-one clinically studied prebiotic, probiotic, and postbiotic designed to help support a balanced gut microbiome. With Ritual's Symbiotic Plus, I get two of the world's most clinically studied probiotic strains to support the relief of mild and occasional digestive discomforts like bloating, gas, and diarrhea. Why include a postbiotic? It provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining and supports a healthy gut barrier. Symbiotic Plus comes in a delayed release capsule that's designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon, an ideal place for probiotics to grow and thrive. Symbiotic Plus comes in an all-in-one single nested minty capsule. There's no refrigeration needed, so it's easy to take with you when you travel. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. It's time to listen to your gut. Ritual is offering our Nobody Told Me listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash NTM to start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. All you have to do is visit ritual.com slash NTM to start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Visit Ritual.com slash NTM to start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. There's an interesting story in your book about how the pandemic impacted the end of your book. Tell us about that. (laughs) Yeah, so the whole book, I mean, I I am a researcher and scientist, so the book covers the latest research in science from my lab and others across the world. But a really special thing about my book is that it's also a very personal story. Um, as I mentioned, I, I have struggled with mental health issues at, at various transitions in my own life. And I've used exercise to help heal, heal my own mind and help me transition through those difficult times. And the book follows this journey. So it starts with the end of my marriage. Um, and at that time, I I had needed a focus that was positive, and so I turned to sport. And I try I was trying a new sport, so that in that case it was triathlon, and I had never done one before. And the book journeys through this uh, training for this, you know, first to try a try, and then a, you know a half Ironman, and then it was supposed to end with my like heroic completion of this full Ironman, something I never thought would be possible for me, and. 
obviously it was, you know, March, 2020 came, my race was supposed to be August, 2020. And, you know, everybody knows the story, the pandemic canceled the world gyms closed, pools closed, races were canceled. And so, um, I was, I was writing my book and wondering, okay, well, how am I going to end this now? (laughs) It was supposed to end with me completing this race. And so I recruited my friends and family and organized my own race. It was a solo Ironman. um, And I did the whole thing all on my own, raised money for mental health. And uh, it makes for actually a really nice end to the book. (laughs) Yeah, I think it makes for a better story. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, gosh, to do that yourself, and without other people supporting you and <laughs> yeah. running next to you and, and swimming, doing all that stuff next yeah. to you, I can imagine. I mean, that must have taken a lot more willpower. Yeah, exactly. It, it's the resiliency it takes. You yeah. know, it was, it was it, at the end, it's more much more of a mental game than a physical. Well, it's both. It's so grueling. <laughs> oh, my God, it's so grueling. But uh, the resiliency that it takes to exercise, exercise consistently, it doesn't have to be that intense, obviously. But you get it all back, all that resiliency that you put in, you get back and more. And that really um, it enhances your life and improves your well-being. It's really, it really is a miraculous thing. The book is peppered with stories about really inspirational people. And one of them was one of our guests, Catherine Switzer. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to know, yeah, how did she impact you? And you also talk about The Rock and, and a bunch of different people. I'm curious to know who gave you the biggest inspiration. Yeah, it was really fun learning about uh, Catherine Switzer's story um, and how she overcame a lot of barriers, not just um, being a woman in sport, but also then being an older woman women in sport and I think such an inspiration to all of us right um yeah and I I think when we when we see people who are willing to put themselves out there you know even when it's against the grain and like either that's doing something that people didn't think that they were capable of doing or you know exposing a vulnerability in themselves like the rock um, or michael phelps for example who who are open about their struggles with mental illness i think it's a really important it 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 does inspire people to to talk or to at least know that they're not alone and that that was that's a real message i want i want to convey in the book that you know successful people can struggle and learn to manage their mental health. And so if, um, if young people are reading this or even older people who are experiencing mental health for the first time, you're not alone. (laughs) It can happen. And there, there are ways that you can help manage them. And, um, that can include exercise as a really valuable, uh, turning thing to turn to that, that can make you feel good. What about the connection between exercise and our creativity or Mm -hmm. our ability to focus? What should we know about that? Yeah. So, I mean, we've all been sitting a little bit more than usual lately uh, in front of the computer, no less. Um, And this sitting for, for long periods of time actually starves the brain of the vital nutrients that it needs. And so every 30 minutes or regularly, I say every 30 minutes, get up for a two minute 
movement break. And that can just be, you know, walking around, getting a glass of water, walk around the block. And these short movement breaks have an incredible impact on the brain. So not only do they infuse it with oxygenated blood flow and nutrients that it needs, they also help improve our focus so that you can be more productive at work, you're less mind wandering. Um, and uh, they also can improve our creativity. So research from our lab shows that just a five minute exercise break um, during this was done in students where we had them, they were they were doing an online lecture, which was one hour and halfway through they had a five minute exercise break and this or they had a five minute break where they scrolled on social media. And the students who took the exercise break were less likely to mind wander during the rest of the lecture. So they were more focused, paying attention better, and they performed better on their tests afterwards. And so we may think of it as a counterproductive to take a break, but actually it enhances your ability to focus and your creativity and your it, it, it enhances your productivity overall. Is it better than to be taking these short breaks all, every hour we're awake, or does it have the same impact if we're just super active for a few hours and then pretty sedentary after? Mm -hmm. Well, it shows that, um, so there is research that shows that if you're walking, I, I think it was a one hour, about a one hour and a half every day at a moderate to vigorous intensity. So that would be like a brisk walk. Then that can negate the negative effects of being sedentary. But a lot of people find that really difficult to fit into their schedule. And so instead of that, yes, the, the breaking up with short breaks is it helps to offset it as well. So um, would, whatever way you can do to fit it in, the, the point is that it's not just about being active, you know, which is important, but also being less sedentary. And they seem to both be equally important when it comes to brain health. And what should we know about the connection between exercise and how well we sleep? And why is that important? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there, there is a great connection between um, how much we move during the day and how deeply we sleep at night. And so um, what happens is when we, when we move more during the day, we break down the cell's energy store ATP into adenosine, and this is detected by the brain. When adenosine gets too high, it forces us to sleep. And this is like a natural sleeping aid that can help us sleep deeply throughout the night. It's really quite amazing. And then we can use exercise to um, adjust our sleep schedule if we need um, by exercising either in the evening to stay up a little bit later or exercising in the morning or early afternoon to wake up earlier as um, as has been successful with you know teenagers who like to sleep in. I thought it was also really interesting that you say that maximizing our creative thinking is really accomplished by cross training that mm -hmm. actually made me do weight training and a little cardio today <laughs> after reading and I thought, Hey, I'm going to do both. I'm, I'm going to see what happens. Why is that? Yeah. So that's a really interesting finding that I, I love because it, so when we exercise often we're, you know, if you're running, just running on the treadmill or something, you're, you're really focused, you know, <laughs> you have to inhibit all that, you know, want to quit or the boredom or, you know, um, but when you're cross training and you're doing a variety of things, then you're flexing a different 
neural network. Um, and this is like our, this is our mental flexibility where you're switching back and forth between focusing, but also being sort of uh, switching between tasks. And this is really incredible for, for, for toning the brain's network for creativity. So when you move your body in creative ways, whether that being, you know, adding a variety of different activities, then it trains your mind to think more creatively. And so this, this is a really interesting dynamic between, you know, how we move the body and how we think and create and feel. What role can exercise play in a person's efforts to beat an addiction? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, the the effects of exercise on the reward system of the brain are amazing. So drugs of abuse and alcohol all are addictive because they increase dopamine in the reward system of the brain. But uh, they do so to supernatural levels. And what ends up happening is that the brain can't tolerate that much dopamine. And so it effectively locks down the reward system and, and it makes it, it takes away the dopamine receptors, making it harder for us to enjoy the simpler things in life. And this is why people who are, have addictions are compulsed to use the drug. Um, nothing else in life really seems that enjoyable. And so when, when one tries to get sober, they're faced with all these cravings for the drug because that's the only thing that gives the brain the dopamine it needs. Now, amazingly, the brain can repair itself it grows back those receptors that were locked down. Uh, but exercise helps to open up the reward system faster. And so it helps crush cravings and it helps to repopulate the reward system with dopamine. It, it also even itself increases dopamine. And so can be also used as a preventative for young, young adults or anyone who wants use exercise to increase dopamine in their brain, giving the brain the dopamine it needs. And so it doesn't seek for it in unhealthy places like with drugs or alcohol. I think that your research and just the concept of exercise helping mental health, mental health issues is just really fascinating. Mm -hmm. How do you think that it's going to impact how prescription, whether prescription drugs end up being prescribed in 10 years, mm -hmm. or do you see it being really groundbreaking? Yeah, my hope is that, um, that, so what I've done in the book is I synthesized all the science into workouts. So at the end of each chapter, whether it's anxiety, depression, addiction, aging, sleep, creativity and focus, there's a specific workout that includes aerobics and resistance. Um, as sort of a prescription, if you will. And my hope is that clinicians who are prescribing um, a treatment for a depression will, will look at those and use those as a starting point. Because I think one of the main challenges is that um, the medical profession, they don't they're not trained on how to prescribe exercise. And so they don't do it, you know? And so if we inform them on how one might go about prescribing based on the science and the evidence, then I think they'll be more comfortable to do it and, or at least have it in the conversation when someone comes to them with symptoms of depression or anxiety. What mistakes do you see people make in trying to incorporate exercise in their lives? 
I think the biggest one is we like want results now, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. you, it's spring, <laughs> you know, you go out, you want to, you know, and a lot of people uh, want physical results now, like stronger muscles, bigger muscles, lose weight. But all of these physical benefits, they take time to accumulate, like it could take weeks or maybe even months. And for a lot of people, you know, that's not fast enough. <laughs> and so right. and there's they don't a few, stick with it. They don't stick with it because they don't see the feedback in what they, they, they set as their goal. So I think a shift, you know, if, if people, think about I'm working out to feel good, then you do get a reward immediately after every single exercise, you you have anxiety is reduced, your stress reduced, your mood is boosted, you'll sleep better the next that night. And so uh, if we shift our focus to why we're exercising from away from physical and more to mental, then we will be reinforced and it'll be easier to stick with. Another thing is people go out too far too fast and they because they want results now and it it's not sustainable and so we need to take this slower and steadier approach where we gradually build up um build up our fitness dr heiss as you know our show is called nobody told me so at the end of each show we ask our guests what is your nobody told me lesson mm -hmm. so what did nobody tell you about how beneficial exercise could be for your own mental health mm -hmm. that you wish you'd known when you were first diagnosed and feeling discouraged by the fact that medication wasn't working how would mm -hmm. that hack have changed your life yeah i guess the nobody told me uh, the bigger story for me was nobody told me that, you know, my thoughts were options rather than truths. And I think oh, if, I if, <laughs> if I had known that back then, yeah. it, yeah. it would have really saved me a lot of anguish because for even after exercise had come into my life, um, I still struggled on, on my own personally, just trying to manage my thoughts, my intrusive thoughts that um, I just didn't, I, I assumed that I was a bad person because I was having them rather than, you know, attributing them to a biological disorder. And so I think that that's the, the nobody told me. And so I tell my daughter, I have a 10 year old daughter and I tell her, you know, <laughs> I tell her now <laughs> so that she knows yeah. that thoughts are options rather than yeah. truths. And, uh, yes. And, and, and movement can soothe the mind, but there's also, you know, beautiful talk therapy that you can do and things that you can do to reframe thinking, which they're super complimentary. And, um, I do hope people, um, explore them either through my book or, um, checking, checking out the research. And Jennifer, how can people connect with you on social media and the internet? Mm -hmm. So uh, social media, I'm on Twitter at Jennifer Heiss and on Instagram at doctor.jenniferheiss. Um, my book, Move the Body, Heal the Mind, is available anywhere books are sold. And my research lab is called neurofitlab.ca. You can check us out on the web. And we should mention how you spell Heiss. H-E-I-S-Z. Correct. Oh. <laughs> you win the spelling bee today. <laughs> Perfect. We thank you so much for joining us. I really, I really love your approach to this. And I love how you say that exercise can help keep hope alive. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's a really important message, especially these days when it just feels like there's so much negativity, not just maybe personally, but also in the world. Yeah. Right. And so 
it's it's in these I, I say in the book you know this these quiet moments after exercise when the stress system is off not just for exercise but for everything and it's the it's those moments of peace and hope where 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 you know we can keep hope alive and it's just a really it's a really hopeful message i think that will mm-hmm. will help people now yeah cuz i never regret exercising no, yeah, I get up sometimes at four o'clock in the yes, morning to do I did it this morning. Yeah, wow. amazing, yeah. amazing. Yeah, she's very dedicated. Well, Jennifer, again, we thank you so much. We know that uh, that your work is helping a lot of people, and will continue to do so in the future. Thank you so much. Again, Dr. Jennifer Heiss's new book is called "Move the Body, Heal the Mind." overcome anxiety, depression, and dementia, and improve focus, creativity, and sleep. Her website is jenniferheiss.com. And again, that's spelled H-E-I-S-Z. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us.